Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A small desert town in Iraq, Al Rada, stands as an oasis amidst the vast desert landscape. The town, with its humble buildings and winding streets, is home to a thousand souls who navigate their lives in this remote community. Suddenly, the tranquility is shattered as mysterious beings emerge from the very sand beneath them. These crawlers, grotesque and otherworldly, crawl relentlessly towards the town. Their presence unleashes chaos and terror as they swarm the city, attacking and killing everyone in their path. Panic and screams fill the air as the townspeople desperately try to escape their inevitable fate. The once vibrant streets now become a battleground, stained with blood and marked by the devastating onslaught of these merciless creatures. As the sun beats down on the forsaken town, a sense of doom hangs heavy in the air. The silence is punctuated only by the horrifying sounds of death and destruction. Valrada, once a place of life and community, is now a ghost town, abandoned to the relentless crawl of these unknown creatures. 
Back at the Navy SEAL base in the Middle East, the urgent message arrived. A distress signal that something was terribly wrong in Alrada. Without hesitation, the team of Navy SEALs was assembled, ready to embark on a mission shrouded in mystery and danger. We knew little of what awaited us, only that we were to investigate the decimated town and uncover the truth behind the unimaginable horror that had befallen its people. As we geared up and prepared for the mission, a sense of trepidation mingled with determination within each one of us. Arriving at the desolate town, we stepped cautiously into its forsaken streets. The air hung heavy with an eerie silence, broken only by the crunch of sand beneath our boots. The sight of holes in the floors of buildings caught our attention, revealing a clue to the gruesome fate that had befallen the townspeople. The realization dawned upon us that these cryptids, these nightmarish creatures, had emerged from the depths beneath the desert. What lay hidden beneath the shifting sands was a mystery we had yet to fully comprehend, but our immediate task was clear. Eliminate the threat and gather specimens for further analysis. Weapons at the ready, we moved through the town with swift precision. The creatures emerged once again, their writhing forms converging upon us with an insatiable hunger. Gunfire erupted, the staccato rhythm of bullets piercing the silence as we fought for our lives. One by one, my comrades fell, their sacrifices fueling my determination to survive. The battle raged on, the creatures relentlessly attacking with a primal ferocity. Blood stained the desert sand as we fought tooth and nail against the abominations that had claimed this town as their hunting ground. In the end, I stood alone amidst the aftermath, surrounded by the lifeless bodies of both friends and foes. The creatures had been vanquished, but at a tremendous cost. The weight of the mission settled upon my shoulders, a heavy burden that only the survivor could bear. I gathered the specimens, carefully securing them for transport to the military lab. Their existence would be analyzed, studied, and hopefully provide some understanding of the horrors we had faced. But the nightmares would forever linger in my mind, etched into the depths of my being. As I looked upon the decimated town, I couldn't help but wonder how many other places, hidden in the vast expanses of the world, harbored similar terrors. The desert sands held secrets that were better left buried, yet it was our duty as Navy SEALs to confront them, to protect the world from the darkness that lurked beneath. In the end, I walked away from Al Rada as the sole survivor. I was a park ranger in Yosemite National Park, and I've always been fascinated by the vast and wild landscape that surrounded me. There's just something about the deep woods, the sound of the wind howling through the trees, and the mystery of what might be lurking in the shadows that always put me on edge. One day, I received a distress call from a group of campers who were lost deep in the woods. I was the closest ranger to their location, so I set out to find them. When I reached the campsite, I found the campers huddled together in fear. They told me that they had heard strange noises in the night and that they were certain that something was stalking them. I started to investigate, and as I walked deeper into the woods, I heard a growl that sent chills down my spine. I knew that I was not alone, and I also knew that I was dealing with something much larger and more dangerous than a mere bear. I soon realized that I was being followed by a Bigfoot, a cryptid that had been rumored to exist in the Yosemite wilderness for centuries. I tried to run, but the Bigfoot was too fast and too powerful. 
It caught up to me, and I was thrown to the ground with a violent force. I was sure that I was going to die, but somehow I managed to get back to my feet and fight back. I was able to use my park ranger training to fend off the Bigfoot, but it was a close call. I stumbled back to the campsite where the campers were still huddled together in fear. I told them what had happened, and they were shocked. They didn't believe me at first, but when they saw the damage to my uniform and the terror in my eyes, they knew that I was telling the truth. We eventually made it back to civilization, but I was haunted by the encounter for months. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched, and I was constantly on edge. I was also consumed by the mystery of what I had encountered in the Yosemite wilderness. I've had a few unsettling experiences in the woods, but this is unquestionably the strangest one. I've been mulling it over for years and still can't come up with a rational explanation. A few details have been changed to protect my identity, but the story is 100% true. I apologize for how long it is. In 2018, my partner and I drove up to a national forest in Oregon for a day hike in early summer. The area was somewhat remote, but nothing too isolated. Hiking is huge in the Pacific Northwest, so there are plenty of other people on these trails at any given time, especially during peak season. Because of this, we chose a less popular trail in the hopes of getting some alone time. It was an approximately six-mile-out and back-moderate-difficulty hike with a waterfall at the end. It followed a river and didn't intersect with any other trails. Simple enough, right? We were both experienced hikers in good physical condition, so we had no reason to think we needed anything but day packs with a couple liters of water and sandwiches. Getting back before dark should have been a piece of cake. We set out sometime afternoon. At first, we took it slow and meandered around the riverbank for a few minutes. I found a cool animal bone and we mused over what it might be. It was clearly a vertebra from a large mammal, so we guessed it was probably a deer bone. Because I'm a little morbid and like collecting things of that nature, I put it in my pack. It might not have anything to do with what happened next, but I feel like I should mention it since it was out of the ordinary. The hike to the waterfall was beautiful. We passed a few other people on their way back to the trailhead, but for the most part, we had the place to ourselves. We stopped a few times to look at wildlife or take photos of flowers. I was tracking our progress on my Fitbit, so I always knew how many miles we'd traveled and how much time we had before sunset. We reached the waterfall at about 3.2 miles, which matched what the map had said. I paused my watch and we settled on a large boulder to rest and eat our lunch. Another young couple was there with their dog. We said hello and then minded our own business. Here's where everything went wrong. As we packed up our stuff and prepared to leave, my partner, Michael, slipped off the boulder and twisted his ankle badly. The other couple heard his surprised scream as he splashed into the water, so they rushed over to help. The three of us hauled him back to dry land and assessed the injury. None of us were doctors, but we thought it was a sprain. The swelling had already begun, and Michael said the pain was serious. He could barely stand. Upon realizing this, the male half of the couple started backing away and seemed anxious to leave. I asked him if he could go get help, but he didn't respond. Neither did his wife. They both just turned around and started booking it up the trail with the dog trotting behind them. 
I called out to them in frustration, but they didn't look back. Needless to say, we didn't have cell service that deep in the woods, so we couldn't contact anyone else. We had to hike back. It'll be okay, I said to Michael. It's only three miles. You can do this. We shifted the water bottles and our modest amount of gear into my pack so we wouldn't have to carry anything and made decent progress. I was still tracking the hike on my Fitbit. After about two miles, Michael ran out of steam when we rested again. I told him to lean on me to take the weight off his injured ankle. Even though I'm a head shorter than him, it seemed to help. We're almost there, I said. Just one more mile. Despite the setback, we were in pretty high spirits. The sun was still up and the woods were still beautiful. We made light of our predicament. Michael joked that he can't do anything without getting hurt or breaking something, and I comforted him. We both thought the ordeal was nearly over. Eventually I realized we'd been walking longer than expected. I assumed it only felt that way because we were moving at a slower pace, but when I checked my watch and saw that we'd gone farther than a mile, I started to worry. We were at 6.6 .6 miles total. That meant the walk back to the trailhead was longer than the walk to the waterfall. That couldn't be right, but I figured I must have made a mistake at some point. Maybe I hadn't started the tracker until we'd already traveled a ways at the beginning. Regardless, the parking lot had to be around the next curb in the trail. But it wasn't. We went another half a mile or so before stopping to assess the situation. Over seven total miles, and we still weren't back. What the hell? I checked the map of our hike on the Fitbit app and saw that there weren't any gaps. It was a straight line from beginning to end, with the line doubled back on itself, indicating that we were on the same route. But where was the trailhead? We talked it over and concluded that it had to be a glitch. Michael was adamant that we hadn't passed the trailhead, and we couldn't have taken a wrong turn because there were no other trails. Plus, the scenery was all familiar. We saw things we remembered passing on our way to the waterfall. It was definitely the same trail, and well-maintained, too. A big, wide dirt track that followed the river and didn't veer off into the undergrowth. Losing the trail was impossible. At that point, we started to feel demoralized, but what could we do except keep going? Our phone still didn't have service. Michael was in a lot of pain and struggled to put weight on his sprained ankle. He was twice the size of his other ankle. He was sweating. I was sweating. The whole thing started to feel like a nightmare. When we went another mile and still didn't reach the trailhead, we panicked. Night falls quickly in the forest, and we had little daylight left. We were almost out of water. Had no rain gear or other food, and the only flashlights were the ones on our phones. Of course we cursed ourselves for not bringing more supplies, but we were only supposed to be out there for a few hours. It was just a short day hike, and we had no idea how it could have gone so wrong. Out of desperation, I yelled for help. We'd seen no people since that strange couple had abandoned us near the waterfall, but I was sure that we had to be close to the parking lot. That didn't mean there was anyone there, but we were both so freaked out, I was willing to make a fool of myself if it meant rescue. To our dismay, nobody answered. We were alone in an attempt to get a grip. We reasoned that maybe we really had passed the trailhead we started at. Maybe we were so focused on keeping Michael off his bad foot that we'd simply missed it and were hiking toward the next trailhead. We were pretty sure that wasn't the case, but it was the only explanation that made sense. 
We were definitely still on the same trail, and though we couldn't be certain, it seemed like the landscape had changed. We no longer recognized any of the landmarks except the river, and that seemed to support our theory that we'd gone too far. We knew we weren't walking in circles. That wasn't possible. Should we turn back? We mulled that over for a few minutes. If we were wrong, backtracking would guarantee spending a night in the woods. Michael couldn't deal with that ankle forever. We decided to press onward. I'm not crazy, right? I asked. That initial hike was only three miles. We went three miles to the waterfall. Yes, Michael agreed. The entire hike was supposed to be a little over six miles out and back. We've walked a lot farther than that. We should have gotten back a long time ago. I don't understand what's happening. When night fell, we picked up the pace. Michael stopped leaning on me and limped down the trail as fast as he could. He later said adrenaline dulled the pain of his injury and gave him the motivation to continue. That part of Oregon is mountain lion country, and I'd just read about a lion attack a few weeks prior to our hike. Being caught out there in the dark was the absolute last thing we wanted, but there was nothing we could do about it. We were scared. Michael shone his phone light on the path ahead to make sure we didn't lose our footing, and I shone mine at the trees, scanning for cat eyes. I was crying. Fitbit said we'd hiked nine total miles. After 9.5 miles, we finally saw the sign for the trailhead and scrambled toward it. Relief didn't completely wash over me, though, because I expected we'd have to either hitchhike back to where we started or trudge along the side of the road for a few miles more. There was simply no way this could be the trailhead. It was three miles past where it should have been. As we climbed the short set of steps up to the parking lot, sweaty, thirsty, exhausted, and completely unnerved, I hoped to see a car. My prayers were answered, but it was my car. We were at the same trailhead. For a moment, Michael and I stared in shock. Our fear and misery were replaced by sheer confusion, and we just stood there. Then a twig snapped somewhere in the woods behind us and broke the spell. We hurried across the parking lot towards the car, and in those few seconds, I felt an intense dread. The best way I can describe it is the feeling you get in a nightmare when something is pursuing you and you're trying to run away but moving in slow motion. Like your legs just won't cooperate and you know the thing chasing you is going to catch up. This is the only time in my life I've ever felt that way outside of a dream. We managed to pile into the vehicle and peel out of the lot. I was shaking. Michael was rambling about time distortion and dehydration and now we must have lost our bearings somehow. We got out of the National Forest and onto the highway, and it was a while before we encountered any other cars. I didn't fully relax until we made it back to civilization. Neither of us can figure out exactly what we experienced. Michael was on crutches for months following that incident, and his ankle has never been the same. I still have the bone I found, but I keep it in a box because it gives me bad vibes. When we go hiking these days, we stick to the crowded trails. Whatever happened that day, we do not want it to ever happen again. A few years ago, a friend and I were camping near Squamish Valley River. It's usually a pretty busy spot, but it was a weekday and we didn't see anybody at all on the road to the spot. And there was no one camped at the spot 
so it was just us. Anyways, we were sitting out by the river on the sand, watching the stars before bed. The moon was full, and it was following the mountain line as the night went on, and suddenly we both saw this bright flash in the sky. It almost looked like daylight for a second. I have no idea what it could have been. I thought maybe a shooting star out of the corner of our eye. But it was so bright and literally lit up everything. Still a mystery to us. I grew up in the small Lincolnshire hamlet of Branston Booths, named in legislation as a nitrate-sensitive area. It had a pub, an old wooden village hall, and a chapel, but no church or shop. What it lacked in amenities, however, it more than made up for in attractions for adventurous children, such as a mysterious island surrounded by a moat, a stretch of woodland with some old but occasionally inhabited caravans in the midst of it, always the operations center for international crimes. In our imagination, in a body of reedy water known locally as the Delft, this waterway ran straight from the main crossroads at the booths, via an intersection with the car dike to the Sensel drain, ultimately feeding the county's main watercourse, the river Witham. The Delph has high grassy banks on either side, accessed from the crossroads by the car dike's own bank, which runs crossways to meet them and provides a bridge between the car dike and the Delph. The first Delph bank is about 10 meters, 33 feet, away from the crossroads access point. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One summer's evening in 1985, as the day was slowly turning to night, I was with my band of adventurers at the crossroads. There were five of us, aged 12 to 14, chatting idly with the Delph and bank tops and fields beyond as our backdrop. Three had their backs to the Delph. I was facing it, and a friend, Daryl, was standing to my right on a slight diagonal so that he was able to turn to me and then to our friends during the conversation, giving him a broader view than the rest of us. We were on the point of saying our goodbyes when something caught my eye. A head had popped up over the first Delph bank top, and as I turned to register it, my mind was troubled. Was this a rabbit? Faced man or a man? Faced rabbit? And with that, the head on a pair of non-rabbit-sized shoulders shot hacked down behind the bank, open-mouthed. I looked to Darrell, who had a similar expression, and we both said in excited unison, Did you see that? We tried desperately to explain what we had seen to our friends. Darrell found it difficult to articulate, perhaps because of the angle at which he saw it, other than describing this human or animal thing popping up and shooting back down again. We searched along the banks to see if it was still there. We found nothing, but if truth be told, we didn't look very hard. It was a terrifying encounter, but mercifully short. My friends were nonplussed. You just saw a big hare or rabbit, but Daryl had seen what I had seen, and he just shook his head. Over the years... 
I have sought to explain this away as a trick of the crepuscular light, but why would it trick two people in the same way? Moo, as a larger-than-normal animal. But I am seeing enough rabbits and hares to know that they do not pop up in that way, or have human-like shoulders, or as a person playing a prank. Doubtful, given that it is one of those places where everybody knows everybody else, and we would definitely have heard about it later. Was the entity perhaps a cousin of the giant rabbits of the mythical island of High Brazil? I have also wondered about whether I had already seen the wicker man and was simply imagining a man with an animal head mask popping into the shot, as they do most memorably in the film. But had Daryl seen that film too, and had he really been having the same thoughts as me? None of these strike me as satisfactory explanations. I definitely saw something strange that night, and it has stayed with me ever since. We didn't mention it again within our group, and while I have always looked at those banks hoping to catch another glimpse, none has been forthcoming. I lost touch with Daryl when I went to university and he moved from Branston Booths, and I hope he sees this account. It is the first time I've written it down and would welcome his and any other reflections on this brief encounter. A few years back, I was leaving a friend's house late at night. His house was in the middle of some random farming area in Tampa Bay, Florida. More specifically, Claire Mel, if you're familiar. My friend's fiancé was giving me a lift home, and as we were taking a left onto a long, dark road in an equally dark area, there were few street lights or house lights. The headlights of his car lit up the front yard of a corner house. As we were turning, we both saw something fall from a tree in their yard. It looked like a person. Sort of. I know how illegitimate this is going to sound, but it looked like that seriously creepy ice cream man from Legion. It was tall, had long limbs, pale, super thin. It landed on its feet, but it kind of looked like it also landed on its knuckles. Almost like a monkey would. But we only saw the back or side of it, and very briefly. My friend's fiancé was a no-bullshit kind of guy and doesn't believe it weird stuff at all. So when he freaked out, I freaked out too. I made him turn around and go back to see what the hell it was. By the time we turned back, it was gone, and after a few years, he now denies it ever happening. What in God's name was that thing? I've never seen anything like it before or after. Has anyone else ever experienced anything like this? Ever since that fateful night, the memory of the encounter has haunted me. The unknown predator's chilling gaze and the echoes of its guttural growls still send shivers down my spine. As a park ranger, it was my duty to protect the people and wilderness. But that night I was powerless. Obsession consumed me as I devoted every waking moment to hunting down the mysterious creature. I scoured the deep woods, searching for any trace of its existence. Sleep eluded me, and each day I grew more and more desperate. Then, one summer evening, a group of campers arrived at my park. They were excited for a weekend of adventure and camaraderie, blissfully unaware of the danger lurking in the shadows. It wasn't long before the predators struck again, leaving behind a chilling message. It was back, and it was hunting. The campers were terrified, and they turned to me for help. 
I couldn't let them down, not again. Together, we formed a plan to uncover the truth behind the cryptid and put an end to its deadly intentions. We spent days scouring the woods, following a trail of clues left behind by the creature. With each new discovery, the truth about the cryptid slowly began to emerge. It was a creature of ancient origins, a remnant of a time when the world was wild and untamed. As we delved deeper into the mystery, we realized that the predator was more cunning and intelligent than we'd ever imagined. It had been watching us, studying our every move, waiting for the perfect moment to strike. And that moment came on our final night in the woods. The sun had set, and darkness enveloped the forest. We huddled together around the campfire, our eyes scanning the shadows for any sign of the creature. We knew it was out there, waiting for us to let our guard down. Suddenly, a blood-curdling howl tore through the night, chilling us to the bone. The creature was close, and it was ready to attack. We scrambled to our feet, weapons at the ready, our hearts pounding in our chests. As the creature burst from the shadows, its monstrous form towering over us, I knew that this was our last chance to end the nightmare once and for all. While I was getting ready to shoot him, he just growled at us and turned back toward wood. We went on a hunt, but we couldn't find him. As we made our way out of the deep woods, I knew that the experience had changed us all. The campers left the park grateful for their lives and forever bound by the shared experience. As for me, I continued my work as a park ranger. The weight of my obsession finally lifted from my shoulders. But the deep woods still whispered secrets, and I knew that there would always be mysteries to uncover and battles to be fought. I was ready for whatever lay ahead. It was deer hunting season, and my friend had gone into Santium Lake with his pack mule the day before I went in on my horse to hunt deer for the weekend. It was misty, raining on my ride in seven miles. I found his camp and set up my tent on the other side of the campfire from his tent. We looked around a little bit before dark and found somebody else's abandoned camp and picked up the trash they had left. They also left a giant can of ravioli that was unopened, so we decided to eat it to spare the mule having to pack the extra weight. But we didn't eat it all, so we left it a few feet away from the campfire in the pot and went to bed. It quit raining and got clear and really cold. I could not sleep because my feet because my feet were freezing and I was so cold in my crappy sleeping bag. Sometime in the middle of the night I could hear the vibration of something with a heavy two-beat walk coming into camp. I didn't move a muscle because I was scared to death. It stopped right next to my tent and I could hear it breathing and soft growling. Sounds and sniffing and smell it not three feet from me. With just this wimpy thin tent fabric between us. I was freaked. I could tell from the sound it was taller than my tent, and it got closer like it had bent over for a closer look. I had my rifle right next to me and gripped it just in case it tried to eat me. My friend was sound asleep the whole time. It stood there for what seemed like forever, but was only maybe a few minutes, then walked away, and it broke branches as it left. The next morning I could still smell it really strong. I told my friend about it, and he said it was probably just a bear, but I know it wasn't a bear. They don't walk any distance on two legs, and a bear would have eaten the ravioli. 
I have never smelled anything like that creature before or since, and my mom was a taxidermist for 30 years, so I know what the various animals smell like. I had just finished my tenth mile on a trail run through a narrow creek bed with vertical canyon walls on each side, without seeing a single soul. I was a couple miles out from the trailhead when I came around a sharp turn and startled a big mountain lion. It froze momentarily, then jumped into the foliage just out of view. Behind me was about fifteen miles of trail to loop back to safety and or course the sun had just set, and I wasn't carrying water or headlamp. My whole body started to tingle and I started an all-out sprint forward towards the trailhead. I heard some branches cracking as I passed the spot where I had seen it and sent my legs into overdrive, only checking over my shoulder after a few hundred meters as I hit a couple bends in the trail. No sign of the cat. After a mile or so of an all-out sprint, I came around another sharp bend and almost leveled a female hiker squatting to pee. She screamed in surprise and fell over as I slowed to tell her what happened. She looked puzzled and in disbelief, so I continued the last mile to the trail ahead without seeing anyone else. I am a young forest ranger responsible for keeping the peace and safety of the vast, sprawling woods that make up a good portion of this country. My job is to patrol the trails, monitor the wildlife, and assist lost hikers. I have a deep love for the outdoors, for the peace and serenity it brings, but my love for nature has been tested in the most horrifying of ways. One day, while I was on my regular patrol, I heard a strange noise coming from deep within the woods. It was a guttural growl, unlike anything I'd ever heard before. My heart was racing as I cautiously approached the source of the noise. As I got closer, I realized that I was not alone. There was something in the woods with me, and it was not friendly. The darkness of the woods was only making the situation worse, as I could barely make out the shapes of the trees around me. My mind was in a state of conflict. Part of me wanted to turn back to run and never look back, but the other part of me, the part that had always been there, the part that loved the woods and everything in it, refused to let fear rule me. I pressed on slowly, cautiously. As I emerged from the trees, I was faced with a sight that made my heart stop. There was a figure in front of me, and it was unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was tall, at least seven feet with fur covering its entire body. Its eyes were a deep, piercing red, and it had razor-sharp teeth. I realized too late that I was looking at a werewolf. The werewolf let out a blood-curdling scream and lunged at me. I was barely able to dodge out of the way and started running as fast as I could back into the woods. My only thought was to find safety, to find a place to hide. I ran until I stumbled upon an old cabin, nestled deep within the woods. I burst through the door, closing it behind me and locking it tight. I was safe for now, but I could hear the werewolf outside growling and scratching at the door. I realized that I was not alone in the cabin. There were other people there a group of campers who had gotten lost in the woods. The campers told me that they had been pursued by the werewolf for miles until they stumbled upon the cabin. They were shocked to find a park ranger there with them and told me their story. 
They had been camping in the woods when they stumbled upon a Native American tribe that was performing a ritual. The tribe told them to leave, as they were disturbing a sacred ceremony, but the campers did not listen. The tribe had summoned the werewolf as a punishment for the campers' disrespectful behavior. The werewolf was now hunting them, and it seemed that it would not stop until it had claimed its victims. The campers were scared, but I was determined to protect them. I was armed with my training and my love for the woods, and I was not going to let this monster take any more lives. As the night wore on, the werewolf outside grew more and more aggressive, battering against the door with increasing force. The campers were huddled together in the corner, scared out of their minds. I could see the fear in their eyes, and I knew that I had to do something. I grabbed my park ranger hatchet and made my way outside, ready to face the monster once and for all. But when I went outside, I couldn't find him. The day passed, and I expanded my search on a whole park, but I never found a werewolf again. I was hiking alone with my dog. It was at the beginning of the hike, so I was still very close to a town. I met a family walking together, a man, a woman, and a kid. The man says hi to me, and it's obvious. He wants to talk, so I stop, assuming he wants to ask about my dog's breed or something. My dog smells him, and he says to my dog, Ah, you know who the master is here, what? Then he asks me, are you not afraid to walk alone? I tell him, no, I'm not. Then he asks me, are you sure? You're a young woman alone. Are you not afraid of being attacked? Well, no, I am, thanks. I tell him that I'm close to the town, so no. He then told me how I shouldn't be without a man. He keeps asking, are you not scarred of being assaulted or killed by someone? At this point, I wanted to ask him if by someone he meant him. I pointed out that I had a big dog with me and told him how my dog was protective and wouldn't hesitate to defend me if anything goes wrong, which is true, but I mostly said it to scare him in case he had bad intentions. I made eye contact with the woman and kid at some point, and it was obvious they were embarrassed. Eventually, I left, and I never saw them again. This all took place in a rural area in France, not a place that's especially dangerous for women. I was hiking in a remote Arizona location. Nearing the trailhead as the sun was going down, I ran into a guy who only had a sweatshirt on. No backpack, no water bottle, just looked like he was on a casual walk to the mall or something. I remember after passing him that there was just something off about him. I had intrusive thoughts about how easy it would be for him to sneak up on me or something. I usually don't think about that at all, but I couldn't shake it this time. It really didn't make sense that he was up here without any gear this late in the evening. Also, I was still a good three miles away from the Tennessee when I passed him. So not like he's going for a quick stroll. He was hiking for at least three miles with no water or anything in Arizona. So finally, I get back to the trailhead parking lot, curious to see this guy's license plate and where he was from, when, oddly, there was no car in the parking lot. It was empty except for mine. This is the only parking space within this area, and the next one is outside of the wilderness zone, which was ten-plus miles away. Also, there is a gate that closes at around sunset, so there is no way in after the gate closes. You can't leave, but can't come in. Tire spikes, so yeah, you actually can't come in. So, to this day, I have no idea how this guy even got there. Maybe he was dropped off. 
but he would have had to know there was no way for someone to come back and get him. Signs posted about when the gates closed. He would have known that he would be dropped off ten-plus miles outside of anything without any gear or water in Arizona. I was in Cater on an extended layover coming back from a trip to Thailand and decided to go on a dun-bashing tour that included an overnight stay in a Bedouin camp on the edge of the Persian Gulf. The camp was set up to accommodate at least 100 people, but it was just me and my boyfriend that night, along with 10 or so people who worked there. It was absolutely beautiful and remote, with the weather so perfect that we decided to sleep outside on the beach. We found ourselves spending most of the night awake, listening to the water and stargazing. Suddenly we heard what sounded like a small boat going by in the water, not more than 100 yards offshore. Although it was around 2 or 3 a.m., the boat had its lights off and we could only barely make out its dark shape as it quietly slipped past. My boyfriend motioned for me to be still, and we stood in absolute silence until we were confident that the boat had gotten far enough away. We surmised that it was smugglers or someone definitely doing something sketchy who didn't want to be seen. After that, we spent the rest of the night thoroughly creeped out and didn't venture too far away from the camp again. 